Second Chronicles chapter 20. I want to talk tonight about the power of praise, of thanksgiving, and of being content. The power of praise, of thanksgiving, and being content. I want to start off talking about praise, and we're going to look at Second Chronicles chapter 20. And as you're getting there, Isaiah 61.3 says, to, to console those who mourn in Zion and to give them beauty for ashes, for the oil, oil of joy for mourning, for the garment of praise, for the spirit of heaviness. And they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. When we talk about the spirit of heaviness, the definition says depression, despair, or hopelessness. How many know we've all been there in different times, amen? Despair, depression, or hopelessness. But the Bible says that when we begin to praise God, despair and depression and hopelessness lifts off of us. Amen? That's something that praise does. Now, as we're getting to the end of the year again, this is a great message to go into the new year with because praise and thanksgiving and contentment will give you miracle power. These are one of those messages that are nuggets that will take you all the way through the next year of 2016. Amen? To be a person of praise, to be a person of thanksgiving, and to be content with what you have. I believe if you could major on those three things right there, you will always walk in victory. I mean that with all my heart. If you can learn how to be a praise person, if you can learn how to be a person that's thankful and you can learn how to be content, you will make it in this life. Now let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, because a lot of times in the Bible we see battles, and uh, we see big battles, and we, we realize that praise always seems to be a way out. Verse 21 says, And when he had consulted, this is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who would praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and they were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. I don't know if you just saw that, but that's a powerful statement. He's saying right here that when we praise God, we defeat the enemy. Amen? There is a power and a, and a, a victory in praise that we have to remember. It's, so sometimes we say, well, why, why, am I, why are we singing every service? Why do we have praise song and service? Because this is practice, and I hope this isn't the only time of the week you do this. I hope it's not just Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday night that you worship God, but there's a, there's a, 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 a force in praise that the Bible says that when you begin to sing and praise, he sets an ambush against the enemy. And this praise defeats every enemy at every angle in every place. It's an amazing thing. So praise sets an ambush and they it defeats the enemy. And it says they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. That's what we do tonight with instruments and singing and praising. And it says the fear of, the, of God was on all, this is, sorry, this is verse 28 and 29. I skipped down. And the fear of God was on all of the kingdoms of those countries when they heard the Lord 
had fought against the enemies of Israel. I believe that when we're in praise and worship at this time of the service, something's happening in the spiritual atmosphere of our city. We might not see it, we might not recognize it, but we are praising God. We're in here with no motives. We're in here not doing it for a prize or to get somebody to pat us on the back. We're doing it because this is what God called us to do. And while we're here thinking nothing's going on, God is doing something in the spiritual realm. God is doing something in your family. God is doing something in your house. God is doing something in the, in the neighborhood you live in. God is doing something to that enemy that you have. As we're praising and worshiping, something's happening in the spirit all over the city. Amen? That's what the Bible says. He's setting ambushes, and he's defeating the enemy. And even though we don't recognize it always, the demons of darkness are saying, man, it's Sunday night, it's raining, it's cold, and those fanatics are over there on Fort Worth Drive having church when everybody else isn't having church. What are they doing in there? Man, they're doing something. Man, I don't know what's going on in that place, but something is happening because we can feel it in the atmosphere. Amen. That's what praise does. Now listen, praising God is not dependent on our circumstances. Praising God is not dependent. You know what that means? That means a lot. Because if we praised God when our circumstances were good, that means we'd be praising God because of our circumstances and not because of who God is. We praise God for who he is because of who he is and not because of our circumstances. And when we praise God like that, when we praise God in the midst of bad circumstances, that's when God really gets the glory. Because it's easy to lift your hands and sing and worship and smile and be happy when everything's good. And that's great, but God really gets the glory. When he looks down on you in a service like this and you're going through something, but nobody knows you're going through something because you're praising God like everything's good, because in the spirit everything is good, because God has not moved and God's not going nowhere. He's still on the throne. It doesn't matter if a tornado happens. It doesn't matter if a storm happens. He's still God and he's still on the throne. And he has not changed. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. During tough battles is when we need to praise God even more. Amen? We need to not allow anything to stop us from serving and praising God. And we don't praise God just for the tough times. We need to praise God during the tough times. Amen? That's what God's looking for. I'm not going to have you go there because you know the story, but you can write it in your notes in Acts 16. Everybody knows the story of Paul and Silas when they were in jail and handcuffed and tied to that wall and it was stinky and smelly and dark in that place and they had been beaten. You know, a lot of times I remind you about Job. You know, if things are going bad, go read the book of Job. If you're going through something that's, that, that's bad, go read this story in Acts 16 and think, man, I haven't just been beaten for my faith. I haven't just been flogged for my faith. I have, I'm not sitting in a jail cell for my faith tonight. And you think, man, I, I don't have it so bad. And in the midst of that bad time, I, how many wish you could, I mean, we've seen movies, but how many wish you could have seen that scene? alive to be in that jail cell at midnight the bible says and all of a sudden 
you just hear these guys start worshiping. I, I don't know what song they were singing, but, man, they just start praising God in that place. In, in handcuffs and bleeding, they begin to praise the Lord. Amen? The Bible says they begin to lift up praise to God, and they sing hymn, hymns to God. And listen, it says the prisoners were listening to them. So tonight, our, our, our friends and our family that are not saved and, and even our enemies or people that we don't like or people that we work with or all the people that don't come to church that we want to see come to church, they're not here. So the praise that you do here is not for, for them tonight here in this place. But when you praise God during the week at work or in a tough situation and they see that, this says that the people are listening. And it says, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were shaken and opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. So if you're praising God, you can loose the chains off of people around you. Anger and bitterness and, and, and mourning and complaining and bickering ain't going to get nobody's chains loosed off them around you. But if you begin to praise God, the chains can fall off the people around you. Amen. At work tomorrow, at school next week, wherever you go, you can just be praising God. And they're saying, man, didn't, you, didn't your house just get hit by a tornado? Didn't you just have a problem? Don't you have, aren't, weren't your kids sick? Yeah, they sure were. But I'm praising God because God's bigger than all that stuff. And he's going to bring me through just like he's brought me through every other time. What happens when we praise God? Here's what happens when we praise God. We get our minds off ourselves. Amen? We get our minds off ourselves and on God. We, we begin to make it a time to humble ourselves between, before the awesome and living God. I've said this to you many times. I'll say it again tonight. Don't let this be the only time you worship God. Become a worshiper. Become a praiser. Amen. Make sure that your, your time during the week is filled with praise and worship so that you're lifting up glory to the Lord. And like I said before, sometimes turn that radio off, even if you can't sing good. It's just you in the car anyways. Amen. Lift up praise to God. Sing some songs that we sing during the week, even if you're like me and don't know all the words. Just fill in the blanks. Amen. With your own words. God will get the glory anyways. But praise him on your own. You don't have to have a song. You don't have to have musicians. But just from your heart, praise God. From your heart, worship God. You know how pleased God would be if you were just driving down the road and you just said all of a sudden, just for no reason, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Jesus, I love you. Lord, I thank you for this car I'm driving in. Lord, I thank you for the job I'm going to. Lord, I thank you that I've got clothes on my back. Lord, amen, just a constant spirit of praise is what God is looking for. We can't view God through our problems and trials. We can't view God through our problems and trials. We must view our problems through God. Amen? You can't look at a problem and say, oh, this must be like God, how God is. You look at your problem through God, and it changes your problem. Amen? God is enthroned in our midst. I mean, he's always with him. He's welcomed, and our hearts are always open to receive what God is speaking to us. A lot of times people tell me, I don't, God's not speaking to me, or I haven't heard God say anything. Well, are you praising him? Are you worshiping him? 
I mean, you expecting him to, to uh, talk to you when you're not listening or when you're not worshiping or you're not praising or you're busy doing something else? You've got to open up your heart for God to speak to you. Psalms 23, 22 verse 3 says, You are holy and enthroned in the praises of Israel. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. You know what that means? It's almost like there's a channel between earth and heaven that is opened up. Can you imagine that tonight, that, that there really is just an open door up to heaven when you focus on God tonight and you look to God as your author and your finisher of your faith and we enter into the presence of God with thanksgiving in our heart, which is an expression of praise. There's no wrong or right way to praise God. You do it from your heart. That's why the Bible says to become like kids. Amen? They just, they just do it. There's nothing that blesses me more than to see a young child in this church lift up their hand or worship God or look at them have their eyes closed. That's such a powerful thing. It blesses me so much because that's the heart of God. Listen to this. Praise includes a declaration of who God is and the greatness of God. You know what? If you have that favorite word, awesome, amazing, whatever it is, use that word on God. Amen? Describe God in your own words and, and talk about how good he is to you. Tell him how good he's been to you. Tell him how much he means to you. Here's another verse for you. Psalms 28 verse 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices and with my song I will praise him. Do you have a song? I'm not going to ask you to sing it. I won't give you the mic. But do you have a song? I think we should all have our own song. We should have a song that doesn't have to be written by somebody else or, or sang by somebody else. It's something that comes from here. It's a song of praise. It's a song of worship. Amen? And I'm telling you, that's what makes God happy is when you praise him outside of a church service. When you praise him in your car, when you praise him when you're walking down the street. Why? Because Psalms 34, 1 says this, bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. It says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. How many know somebody that's negative? Maybe you're negative. You can't be negative if you're praising God. If you'll have praise in your mouth, you can't be negative. If you'll be singing songs and worshiping the Lord, you can't be negative and praise God at the same time. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And listen, don't, don't make me tell you what you can be thankful for because there's a lot to be thankful for. You better learn to be a half full or three quarters full or full cup person if you're going to make it for God. Don't look at what you don't have. Don't look at what you're lacking. Don't look at what you need. Look at what you have. That leads us into number two, thanksgiving. So the first one was praise. Number two is thanksgiving. This is a part of praise and worship. Psalms 100 verse 4. What, what was read at the prayer tonight? What did you read? Was it Psalms 100? 103, we were close. I think, I think I'm a, I've got a verse tonight that was said today sometime. 
Psalms 100 verse 4, listen to this, says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Now me, Dwayne, and Brian like that especially, into his courts. I like the basketball court, so I enter into his courts two or three times a week with praise. Amen? Be thankful to him and bless his name. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. How often should we be thankful? At the same time we praise. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks. Everything. Hmm. In everything give thanks. That means everything. That means when things aren't going right. That means when you're sick. That means when you don't have money. That means when it's raining. It means when your car's broke down. Whatever it is, you give praise. Because you know when you have a car broke down, see right now we're inside. We hear that rain on that roof, and we can be thankful right now. God, thank you that we're inside. Thank you that we're not outside. Thank you that we have a house. Thank you that we have a church. Thank you that we have a roof over our heads. Amen? That's a lot. You can always find something to be thankful for at every moment. Amen? Even when you have a car problem, you can say, man, you know, I'm having, pro I'm having problems right now trying to figure out why my brake lights aren't working, which is important, right? And so you, I say, man, thank God I've got a car that has brake problems. Because some people would love to have a car that needs brakes. Right? You can always look at the situation you have and say, I, I, I've, got it, I've got it made. Because of your heart of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, listen to this, is an expression of joy and is a fruit of the Spirit. How many remember the example of the lepers in Luke 17? How many people got healed in that example? Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten got healed. That's the God we serve. He heals everybody. Ten out of ten people got healed and only one out of ten was thankful. Only one out of ten lepers came back and said, thank you. We talked about that the last few weeks. There's nothing worse than giving somebody something to somebody and not hearing thank you. I mean, that's the greatest thing in the world. You don't, you don't give to receive back, but you love to know that the person was thankful. Right? So we give and we're thankful God gives to us, we should be thankful to him for what he has given us. Hebrews 13, 15. This was read this morning. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of our praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Amen? Continually giving praise and offering the sacrifice of our praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So how many know this is an attitude we have to have? We have to have an attitude of thanksgiving. We have to have an attitude of praise. I'm not going to have you read these right now for time, but if, in the book of Numbers, if you want to write this down, Numbers 11 through 14, this will be some good stories to read later. This is probably the best example in the Bible of grumbling and unthankful hearts and complaining and we've all read this and heard this story and, and remember it when, when, G, uh, sorry, when God had brought the Israelites out of Egypt and, and they were complaining and murmuring and, 
and, and bickering about what they had to eat and all those different things. For example, in Numbers 11, the people begin to complain about their situation. And they were denying God and his promise to come through for them. And the crazy thing is now they're in a situation, and I said that this morning. When you get out of a battle or a victory, what's next? Another battle. That's the walk. You, you, you win a victory, and then you get ready for the next battle. And then when you're in the battle, you're getting ready for the victory. And then when the victory's won, you get ready for another battle. And for those that were in Sunday school or nursery or whatever this morning, we talked about the Jordan, which is an obstacle of us getting to where God wants us to go. And we're always either at the Jordan, in the Jordan, or coming out of the Jordan. That's our life. We're always at one of those, at this moment, right now, every single one of us in here today is at, is at that place in, our, in this moment in, there in our lives. We're, we're, at a, we're at the beginning. We're about to cross the Jordan. We're about to face an obstacle. Or we're in the Jordan right now and we're crossing it. Or we just came out, which means we got a victory. And as soon as we come out of that Jordan, there's going to be another Jordan to cross. There's going to be another river to cross. There's going to be another battle to fight. And that's why the Bible says don't grow weary in well-doing. Because we have to continually fight and continue to stay strong. And that's why we put the armor of God on and all these different things. Because we're in a battle and we have an adversary, like I said this morning. And so they're complaining about their situation. But what's crazy is they were complaining when they were in the other situation. So God couldn't really do anything. I mean, he brought them out of slavery and then he got them out and they start saying, man, I'd rather be back where I was eating good food but in slavery. So we can't be that way with God. We can't say, God, I would rather. How many know that you've got to be learn to be content with what God has? And I'm getting ahead of myself there. So they were denying God and his promise to come through for them. That's crazy in itself because they had just seen all those miracles. All those miracles had just happened for them to get out of Egypt, and they forgot them all. I mean, go back and read the plagues. Go back and read all the amazing things. They had just crossed the Red Sea. The sea had opened up for them. And I think that happens to us a lot of times. We see God open up a, not a physical, but a spiritual Red Sea, and we get on the other side, and then we forget what God did for us so fast, so quickly. Numbers 12, chapter 12, then it goes on to say that they begin to question God and begin to rebel against his authority. That's not good. Now, we've talked about a lot of times, don't rebel against God's authority. He's God. You're never going to win that battle. You're going to lose that battle every time. Then Numbers 13, they begin to complain and, and unbelief begins to come on them when the spies come back with the evil report and then that leads to total rebellion. So a danger is to go too long without thanking God. To go too long without saying, God, you're in control. And, the, and Numbers 14 shows us that the wrath of God burns against Israel, and he wants to destroy them all. And if Moses doesn't step in, he does. He prays for them and saves them. He says, God, please have mercy. And he saves them. So instead of being destroyed, he sends them into 40 years of the wilderness you know how you stay out of the wilderness be thankful or you say I'm in the wilderness be thankful and you'll get out of it because when you're not thankful you stay in the wilderness 
Some people are just happy to live their whole lives in the wilderness. I'm okay with going through the wilderness. I just don't want to live there. I'm okay with going through the valley. I just don't want to stay there. Okay, you understand that, that God's a God of valleys and mountains. He's a God of, I, I saw a picture the other day. Someone might have seen it. It showed like point A and point B, our point A and our point B, and it was a straight shot. And then God's point A and God's point B had a whole bunch of valleys and rivers and lakes and, and ups and downs, and that was God's because that's how God grows us. The last one is contentment. Contentment. I don't think I have this in my notes. Actually, I probably do. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. I think this is the verse I'm thinking of. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to close with this. Contentment. I'm telling you, this is one of those messages you'll go back. If you'll go back over and read it over and over again, it'll change your life. Okay, this particular verse is not the one I was thinking of. But uh, Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That means I sit down on my bed at night to go to sleep and I say, God, you are absolutely in control of my life. I lay down and I say, God, whatever happened today, I trust you. Whatever you're going to do tomorrow, I trust you. I'm not, I'm not in control. How many know we need to surrender? You know, that's one of the symbols of when we raise our hands to God is it's a symbol of saying, I'm not in control. Amen. Sometimes I want to lift them up even higher and reach up higher and say, God, I'm not in control. I don't want to be in control. You know, if you want to be in control, God will let you. He'll let you have it. I don't want to be in control. I want God to be in control. But if you say you want God to be in control, that means at the end of the day, you say, God, you're in control. And God, what I have, you have given me. Content. Okay? So Philippians chapter 4 Verse 11 says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. See right there? I've learned that in whatever state I'm in to be content. That's an attitude. Amen? That's an attitude. That's something that you have to choose to be. He's saying, he's, he's making a choice. He's saying, God, no matter what I'm in, and listen, Paul has authority to say this. He spent two-thirds of his uh, ministry in prison. So we're talking about someone who knows what it means to be in dark places. It's not like we're hearing some prosperity preacher here. This is Paul, who spent most of his life in chains. And he says, I have made a decision that in whatever state I'm in, to be content. He says, I know what it means to be abased, meaning lacking. And I know what it means to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned to both be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. How many have, how many have, have, have learned both of those things? We have all believe every one of us in here has had, had, had a taste of both. To have more than enough, to have not enough. Even if it's food alone. There's been times every one of us have been in a place where we haven't had enough. There's been other times, like probably the last few days, where we can't breathe. And we don't want to see food. But isn't it funny how you want to see it the next day? You say to yourself after these meals, I ain't eating for a week. And it's funny how the next morning, all of a sudden, you're hungry again. Isn't that crazy? But 
we know what that's like to have too much, have too little. He says, but in those things, I decide to be content. And then we hear the famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen? Write this down in your notes and actually go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 since we're right there close by. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and I'll begin to, to wind this down. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 6. There's my verse. I didn't have it written down out but I had it there. Verse 6. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. We know know the following verse, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves with many sorrows. No one in here is taking a vow of poverty. We're not asking you to be poor, but we're asking you to understand that money is not what's going to make you happy. Things are not what's going to make you happy. How many have learned as you've gotten older, and especially if you've become parents now, that you realize as you get older, Christmas is great, but it's not about the presents anymore. When we're little kids, we don't know. We just want gifts. We just want presents. We just want things. You start getting older, and you start realizing what really matters. Family and health and being together and having a place to live, and those things become what really, really matters. Write this down. This is a powerful thought. Discontentment is never satisfied. Think about that. If you're discontent tonight, you'll never be satisfied. Think about that. If that is your attitude, your ongoing attitude, if you are discontent, if you just cannot be made content, that discontentment is never satisfied. It will lead from one discontentment to another, to another, to another, and you'll never have enough. We all know people like that too. They have everything, but they don't have enough. Isn't that what we see in the world with greedy people, rich people, people who, who are who filthy rich? They, they are filthy rich, and they still don't have enough. Five houses is not enough. Ten cars is not enough. Millions of dollars in the bank is not enough. That discontentment is never satisfied. It leads to covetousness. It leads to greed, and it's a snare. And what it does is it takes our eyes off of God and puts our eyes on self. This bedroom needs to be bigger. This house needs to be bigger. This car needs to be newer. My bank needs to be more. There's food needs to be nicer, whatever. These clothes, you just go on and on, and you're never content with what you have. And that leads to you taking your eyes off of God and putting your eyes on yourself. And listen, we begin to get the mentality of, if I only had. If I, there's people like that. You, you think, if I just had, and you fill in the blank. And then what's funny is, when you get it, you say, if I only had another thing. And that discontentment is what I'm saying is never satisfied. 
And then you say, here, here's what a lot of Christians say. If God would just give me this, I would serve him and obey him and live for him like no other. Right? If I just, and you put in the blank. And if that is your attitude, I'm not trying to condemn you, but if that's your attitude, that's got to change. That attitude's got to change. And you turn it around and you say, God, I'm going to serve you wholeheartedly. And if you choose to bless me, if you choose to give me this, if you choose to give me that, I'll take it, Lord. And that's where Matthew 6, comes in. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to stay in love with you, and I'm going to love you whether I have much or whether I have little. That rich man that we know in the story of Jesus, we said, go and sell all your possessions. All he had to do was have God first. It wasn't about the possessions. It was that God was touching him in an area where he was discontent, and his discontentment would never be satisfied. He was standing in front of Jesus. Think about that. He was standing in front of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Can you imagine tonight, just on a, on a, on a financial example, if, if Bill Gates came to you knowing he's the richest man in the world and said, I want you to be the CEO of my company. And you turned him down. Can you imagine that? Turning Bill Gates down? I'm just saying on a, I'm not talking about spiritually or anything like that, just on a financial thing. Can you imagine the chief executive officer of this world financially saying, I want you to run my company. I want you to be a part of my team. And you turn him down. You realize that's what that rich young ruler did to Jesus? He was talking to the CEO of the world. And Jesus was asking him to follow him. And he said, all I want you to do, and Bill Gates would tell you, all I want you to do is I want you to leave your job. And if you'll leave your job, I'll make you CEO of mine. And you say, no, Bill, I can't do that. And he probably walked away like Jesus did, shaking his head and scratching his head. Jesus was saying, go sell all your possessions. And behind selling all his possessions, he was going to become a king, a child of the king. But his discontentment, was so great that even standing in front of God, he could not be satisfied. It leads to covetous greed and snare if I only had. Listen, grumbling and complaining is the opposite of praising and thanksgiving. I'm not saying, listen, all of us are human. We're all going to have moments where we grumble and complain. That's, hu- that's human, human uh, nature. But don't be a grumbler. Don't be a complainer. Because listen, think about this. And I'm closing with this last thought. Complaining is an attack on God. You realize that? When I complain, and again, we have our moments, but we've got to try to ask God to reveal, reveal it to us when we do it. When I complain, I'm attacking God's provision. I'm, I'm saying that what I have right now, God, is not enough. I'm attacking his character. And I'm in a denial of the grace and promises of God and really walking in a state of unbelief. Instead of saying, God, I'm thankful and content with what I have. Right? I I, I know I talk about the character and the personality traits of kids a lot and parents, but isn't that what you want as a parent? Sometimes you have a, a great gift or a great blessing behind a test. And you just want to see if they'll be thankful for what you give them. 
Maybe, for example, at Christmas just passed. I know my parents did this to me a lot when I was growing up. I'd have a gift that I really wanted. Usually it was a bike. I usually wanted a bike. Back in the days before technology, everybody wanted a bike. <laughs> so I always wanted a bike. And almost every Christmas, it seems like to me, it probably wasn't, I'd get gifts and it wasn't a bike. And so I had to put on the face of, man, I'm so happy with these gifts. You know, you make that smile and, you, oh, thank you for this shirt that my mom sewed me, right? <laughs> this is awesome, Mom. Love this. And you go through all the gifts and they're looking and watching to see how I react. They come to find out later, there's a bike in that house somewhere. And they're going to bring it out. But if I'd have had a fit, and I'd have acted a fool, and said, man, I, I wanted a bike, you know, I wouldn't have got the bike. Right? I really believe that's how God is with us. God wants to give us the best. He wants to bless us, but he doesn't bless brats. Amen. He blesses people who have the right heart. He blesses people that don't grumble and complain and who are thankful and content with what we have. Because really at the bottom at the at the end of the day, and musicians you can come, at the end of the day, church, our bike is waiting for us. Amen. I'm just saying a bike, but our bike is waiting for us. Amen. Whatever it is that you want for Christmas, man, heaven has it. And the Bible says, I hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard all the things he has prepared for us. I mean, we can't even imagine what is waiting for us. And how many know God doesn't want to reveal it all? He wants to surprise us a little bit. He wants to leave some stuff back. I really believe that's why God didn't talk too much about heaven. Because I think he wants us to imagine he wants us to imagine what it's going to be like. I mean, if you think about a place like Disneyland or Disney World or any place that just, man, kids just go crazy. And, and, and you know, my sister and her husband just got back from a trip, and she's been studying hard, and they went on a trip for vacation to Disney World. And I, and I saw the pictures, and I was happy with them, to, you know, to see them at that place and to see them having fun. And I told my sister, man, that place, that place, I said, I, that place can't compare to what heaven's going to be like. Amen? Because Walt Disney's not God. God's got way better stuff than Walt Disney could even think of. That's the way you need to look at God. You need to look at God and the things that He has prepared for us and the things He has behind the, or on, should say on the other side of the Jordan waiting for us. And you just sit there and you just wait calmly. You just wait patiently. You don't be a, you know, nobody wants to give a brat anything, right? A whining kid ain't getting nothing but a spanking. But if that kid's good, you give him candy, you give him toys, you give him anything. A, a parent wants to bless a good kid. God wants to bless a good child. He wants to bless us, but he doesn't want complaining. He doesn't want murmuring. He doesn't want uh, bickering. He wants us to be thankful. James 3.10 says, out of the same mouth can't proceed blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be, the Bible says. And, and like Paul said tonight, we need to go into 2016 being thankful for 2015. Whether it was good or bad. Because it was good. Because we're alive. 
and we're saved. Amen. And we're children of 